Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with, from WCCO Radio, Paul Hodewanek. Paul, how was your first week on the job? Not too bad. Just lots of, like, monotonous training and stuff that you got to fill out, you know, make sure I know the systems and got all got all that down. But we've we figured that out, and now we're, we're hitting the trail hard, so... And now you'll become an investigatory journalist. Um, yes. That's very cool. Uh, well, I'm happy for you. I also do appearances on WCCO radio and in order to get paid for them, I have to do the same like training stuff as you just because of logistics and how, whatever it works out with corporate. And this is only to just like go on a couple of shows a week during the season, but I got a text from our friend, Brad Lane, who hired you and who used to be my boss um, a couple of weeks ago. And he was like, why haven't you done the harassment training? I was like, there's harassment training. Like, I, how would I harass someone? I don't even work there. <laughs> but yeah, I know I did it. I watched all the videos that you had to watch and everything else. So, uh, okay. Well, good for you. I'm, I'm glad for you to really get rolling with that job. But of course, the most important thing in your life is not the journalism you will do for WCCO radio. It is breaking down the NFL draft and the NFL combine coming up which I will be flying out on Monday evening. Uh, we've got the schedule now for Quasi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell when they're going to talk. So I will be there uh, 2 o'clock local time. So 2 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock here. Uh, Tuesday is when Quasi is going to talk. And then uh, Kevin O'Connell, I think, is like noon or 1230 Central Time. Uh, you know, Indianapolis, obviously, in Eastern Time. So I'll be there for that. And then after those podium sessions, which people can watch, they always do a side session, which I assume that that tradition is going to continue. And uh, there will be a lot to get into. I think, uh, let me ask you this to start off the show, Paul. Like, like what what are you looking for from these guys? Like what if, uh, you know, if you had your choice to ask them three questions and three questions only both Quasi and Kevin O'Connell at the combine, like, like, what do we want to know? They just did introductory press conferences, but they were not that illuminating when it came to what the roster looks like. I mean, even Kevin O'Connell name dropping Anthony Barr, I thought was more of just, Oh, I played the Vikings recently and we game plan for Anthony Barr. It wasn't, I don't think some indication that they desperately want Anthony Barr back. Um, but now they'll have a chance to have gotten together and had meetings and form their plan and be able to talk about what they want to do without completely giving away the entire plan. So uh, what should we want to hear from the brass at the combine? Well, selfishly, just in putting these draft columns together, you know, in any other year, we'd have a really, really good sense of the type of players that Quasi and Kevin O'Connell like to draft. Uh, but we don't know that. I mean, we knew what Spielman wanted. We knew what Zimmer wanted. And we could kind of forecast around that. We could kind of understand who to look for, who to talk to, to kind of figure out who might be on their radar. And we knew what direction they wanted to take the team in. They were trying to win immediately. So you kind of knew the, the formula for what they were going to look for. Here, we don't know. Uh, we still don't quite know what they're going to do at quarterback. We don't know if they're going to really try to be competitive this first year, if they're going to try to address needs right away, if they're going to play more of a long-term game. Like We don't know the answers to all those questions. So I think trying to trying to ask them questions where we can understand the types of players they like, the types of players they want to fit into whatever schemes they're looking to run, I think those are important questions to ask. And then positional value would be another thing that I would ask Kwesi about probably. Uh, you know, the Vikings have drafted a center in the first round before they've, you know, sometimes they go against the general positional value when they draft it and where they draft it. 
And so I would love to hear from them, their kind of philosophy on that, because there's a really, really good center in this draft that might be there when the Vikings pick. And that's kind of just been a side storyline I've been paying attention to is what teams are saying about uh, Lindenbaum and kind of the positional value of, do you take that guy thinking he's going to be really, really good? And how much risk are you taking on not taking a high premium talent position player and instead going for a center, even if that center ends up really, really good. So I would love to hear, especially because of Kwesi's background, just what he thinks on positional value and just more broadly what they're looking for in players, because we really have no sense of that at all. Uh, we we don't know that they want to go after a Daniil type rusher in later rounds. Like we have no idea the types of bodies, the types of guys that they like to go for. So that's what I'm interested in. Yeah, th- that's a really good point. And I wonder where the data points on a lot of these things that they're using. I mean, we know what Pro Football Focus does, and we know that PFF works with uh, every team. And so they're probably providing a lot of this data. Uh, but there's also a lot of things that we don't know about that PFF does for teams or that teams do on their own in terms of different studies and everything else to try to get just this, the ever bit of slight edge. I've always thought that the edge is in drafting the right positions that you're never going to increase by too much. Although we're going to talk about this, you're never going to increase too much your odds of drafting a bust or a home run, but you can increase the value of when you hit a home run. If you hit a home run, this is, this is the thing. If you hit a home run with Justin Jefferson, he transforms your franchise, right? You feel great about your number one wide receiver for a decade. If you draft Garrett Bradbury and he turns out to be great, I mean, it's nice. It's certainly you'd rather have a great center than not have a great center. But if he turns out to be one of the best centers in the league, I don't know that it really changes your fate. I mean, the Cleveland Browns once drafted Alex Mack, and he's an incredible player. And they had Deshaun Kaiser playing quarterback, and it meant nothing. I mean, like they had Joe Thomas. It's just like, and also offensive lines are five-man units. And this is my problem with drafting offensive linemen high is that, you have to have five good players. If you have a great tackle and the Vikings have had this, Brian O'Neill is a great NFL tackle. What difference has it made when the other guys aren't that good? Um, So like Penny Sewell, if you could, this was the debate with Jamar Chase and Penny Sewell. If, if you could draft Penny Sewell and he made your whole offensive line good. Oh my God. Like you would draft him instantly. Yes, for sure. Whereas Jamar Chase can make your whole passing game good by himself. And he did. Uh, and Justin Jefferson has done that for the Vikings. So, so I look at the positional value is how much can one player impact it? Uh, there might be a debate here with corners. Can one player, if it's not Jalen Ramsey, can one player transform your secondary versus one player might be able to transform your pass rush. If that player is good enough coming off the edge and, and you can have one guy dominate and take over games. I don't know that you can really have one guy unless he is truly Deion Sanders take over games as a corner where it's more of secondaries or sort of like offensive lines where they're a complete unit. And I agree with you. I would love to ask, and maybe I will, um, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa about kind of how he views different positional value. I also want to get some sort of hint of whether they buy that it's a weak quarterback draft or not. And this might be hard. It might be difficult to get them to say for sure, like, hey, Kwesi, come on, just between you and me, let's talk about the it's BS, right? It's a great QB draft, right? No, I mean, I, I understand why people say that, but um, but but in even just the general concept of weak positions and things like that. Like, is that something that they put a lot of weight into or is it more just sort of a player to player, their own individual evaluations? Yeah. And again, with Kwesi's background and the fact that he wasn't in a traditional like pro scouting role for a really long time or under one specific GM for a really long time, it's even hard to kind of go back and say, okay, what did Andrew Barry do? Can we get hints on what Kwesi is going to do? Oh, what did they do in San Francisco? Like, can we get hints on what Kwesi is going to do? He wasn't necessarily involved in those things right away when he got uh, into the NFL and that kind of was molded over time and then if you like if you don't have that then you also go okay what what kind of guy is Kwesi and if we're taking him at kind of this analytics focused mold we also don't have GMs kind of in that mold that have come from the analytics side that we can say well these four analytics GMs this is how they kind of address things right away so there is not a lot of historical context to even 
try to guess what he's going to do. You can go and say in Cleveland, they drafted Jedrick Wills and Owusu Koromoa, I think in like their first year with the draft. So they went in the trenches, they went athletic on defense. Maybe you can say the Vikings would do something like that, but there it's nothing more than circumstantial that you can find for any, any sort of hint at what they could do. So it's going to be really, really interesting because it could go so many different directions on the draft you know, quarterback or not, it could, there's just so many different possibilities. Cause we have no priors. What do you think of the idea of the Vikings just trying to get ball players and then looking toward 2023 when it is an allegedly stronger quarterback draft. Now, when I looked into this, what I found for the quarterback draft for 2023 is if you're drafting number one or number two, overall, you should be in pretty good shape. Bryce young and CJ Stroud are kind of like the, these guys almost can't fall off their pedestal type of good. They're like, I mean, Justin Fields did drop, but sort of like the Lawrence and Fields that, that you know they're going to be those top two picks. Uh, Bryce Young could be a transformational player of like, you know, next level, number one overall pick, changes your franchise type guy. Uh, CJ Stroud probably has a few more holes in his game that he has to shore up. But after that, they all sound like the dudes from this year. Spencer Rattler is one of them. There's a handful of other uh, quarterbacks that are talked about the guy from coastal Carolina, like, could they do this or that to make themselves a first round pick? And so I tend to think that you don't want to do that unless you're tanking. And the Browns did this once upon a time where they didn't take, I think Goff or Wentz and they waited to take Baker Mayfield because they were tanking. Uh, if that is the case, then I would say that's totally fine. But I don't think the Vikings are in any position with the players they have on offense to tank they're in much better position or more likely position even if they changed quarterbacks to be competitive for a playoff spot and develop a quarterback over a year and then have a really good sense for where they stand with that quarterback by next year and know if they have to make a big trade up to get a top five type of prospect i think they're in a better spot to do that to take a matt corral to take a malik willis and see what you have there then they are to say, no, no, let's just hang out and see what happens in 2023. Because then, I mean, you might end up getting left out of the party. When you think about, like, if you stick with Cousins for a year and then, okay, you're not drafting a quarterback, you have no other option, you get to the end of 2022, you go eight and nine, nine and eight, whatever it might be. Maybe you make the, the wild card, maybe you don't. And you go into that draft with the 18th overall pick or the 16th overall pick. And you start making phone calls. Hey, can we get up to like number two? No, no, you may not. Because whoever's a number two is drafting a quarterback, CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. And then you're ending up drafting a similar level prospect a year later, as opposed to having a year with somebody like uh, Malik Willis. And that's my thing too, with, with Willis specifically, is that I think the ceiling is really high. And you have a year to figure out, like, could he reach that ceiling potentially in an NFL environment? Because there's no real way to tell. And we've seen Ben Roethlisberger. We've seen Josh Allen. We like, there are lots of guys who have come from colleges that are not, I mean, Derek Carr was Fresno state with Jimmy Garoppolo. Was he something Illinois or whatever? Like uh, I forget where he went, but I mean, it was yeah. like nothing special at all. And yet we've seen these guys turn into good NFL quarterbacks. So I, you'll, you'll see that a lot. Well, the guy went to Liberty, you know, like, I don't know, but that doesn't seem to correlate to turning into a really good NFL prospect. So I think you, you should be looking to take your shot this year uh, as opposed to doing the let's wait till 2023 thing. Yeah. And I mean, in general, you're trying, when you draft someone, the, the highest like years that you're going to get like war wins above replacement are going to be that year two, year three of their rookie deal. And so I, I think if you're waiting, then you're pushing Justin Jefferson or like if you're waiting for a quarterback into next year's draft, then you're waiting another year with the Justin Jefferson timeline for that contract to get even longer. You're waiting another year for, I don't Brian O'Neill just continues to get more expensive. You're just waiting more and more years for these guys, these younger guys that you have on the roster. And so that doesn't mean you push it for this year, but it really does mean you try to find that window in 2023 and 2024 because you have those, you have a few of those young pieces, those prime, really, really high potential pieces that you can capitalize on. And those are the years that you need to focus on it. And so if they just hold off another year with the draft, that means they're probably solid this year and then they take a step back next year. And then they're trying to build back up 
in three years, and then your timelines get a little screwy. And so I agree. I think the strategy, if they want to move from Kirk Cousins, even though it's a weak draft, it's you, you kind of got to look at one this year, or you have to position yourself to thread a needle with a quarterback that you feel you can come in, bring in next year, and every other requisite pieces around him so he can succeed in year one like other quarterbacks of the past haven't uh, because they, I mean, you don't traditionally win with a rookie quarterback. You really got to wait till year two or year three. So you'd, if that's the way you have to go, you kind of have to commit to it now and you have to structure everything else around to build for that quarterback coming in next year. And it's just a lot of uncertainty because you don't know how next year is going to go. You could wind up with the 20th pick because things go really, really well. And then you're just not in a position to do again. And you just don't know where you're going from there. Yeah. And that's uh it is the difficult needle to thread because if they, they could end up in that 2023 spot anyway, if they draft someone this year and it doesn't work out, it's just that everybody else is replaceable. If you have, I don't know, a corner that you draft say, and he goes bust, like, I don't know, all their recent corners, you can sign people in free agency. The Vikings signed the wrong people last year, but if you go through the free agents last year in, in free agency, um, there were teams who signed corners that worked out. Uh, you go through the pass rushers, Trey Hendrickson worked out for Cincinnati, became very good. And uh, there were rumors that the Vikings were interested in him going into free agency. If you don't get uh, a quarterback, there isn't really an option to just go to free agency and get one. If you need a guard, they're there. This year, a center, there's like five good free agent centers. You can only do it if you have cap space, of course, of which the Vikings uh, have not recently had cap space. But you can, when you do, uh, you can fill those spots. Quarterback is just not like that unless you really want, um, you know, Jameis Winston or something, which no one does. Uh, so you did a thing uh, on the site uh, where, which by the way, purpleinsider.com looking very snazzy if people want to go check it out. Uh, and thanks to our friends at Cultural North in Duluth that uh, built purpleinsider.com. So it's got all of our articles there, podcasts, videos, go check it out. So you did an article there, uh, which is on our Substack as well, about uh, in part the winners and losers from the combine. And it's always fun to come out of the combine and, all right, well, who's, you know, to help their case. And my suspicion, how I would have guessed it for what it means to be a winner or loser of the combine is, is sort of exactly what it turned out to be in your research, which is that if you are a winner of the combine, uh, hard to say if that means anything. If you are a loser of the combine, that's bad. That's probably going to tank you if you are a highly thought of prospect. And that is... And you writing this, that is now what I'm watching for with these quarterback prospects is which one of these guys will be the loser of the combine? Because that seems to have at least a loose connection to whether guys are going to work out or not. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, going through the exercise, I mean, you know, we see it after the Senior Bowl. We see it after every step of the draft process. It becomes, okay, who won it? Who lost it? What what happened during the Combine in, or during the Senior Bowl or any time? And I'm always a bit just cynical about those things. Uh, is it just one week? Did they just get hot? Did they run a 4-2-40 and now they're in the winners? And we're going to discount a lot of other things because he came out of the Combine with nice buzz. And then he ends up being, I mean, the famous one is John Ross. I think that everyone goes to John Ross runs the crazy 40. He goes to the Bengals on a first round pick and just is never good. And 
I think people maybe overemphasized what he did at the combine. So I kind of wanted to go into this, look at the past five, six years and say, who was consensus consensus coming out as winners and losers? And I found kind of a lot of winners and it's those athletic freaks you talk about, but then going through the losers, I was looking for a couple to be like, well, see, these guys lost the draft or lost the combine and still ended up really good. And there weren't many to pick from. It's like Cooper cup. Uh, cause he ran a slow 40, uh, Orlando Brown. Cause he was just horrible. And like Lamar Jackson, cause everyone still thought he was a wide receiver. Like those are the only successful losers of the last five years to still have a solid career. So I think, yeah, it's a, Good point, because I think we look for the positives at the NFL Combine. We look for who ran the really, really fast 40 or who put up 40 bench press uh, reps. And it's really should be like who ran a really slow 40 and who did these. What are these top prospects that kind of fell off during the Combine? Which ones didn't perform at a bright stage? Which ones just don't athletically just stack up to the rest of the draft? I mean, if you go through some of these losers. I mean, it's like Nikhil Harry ran a slow 40. He's a loser in 2019. There's names that I had never heard of. Joe Juan Williams, uh, Devin Singletary, Josh Rosen, Tease Tabber, Wayne Gallman. Like these are the guys. <laughs> Wayne Gallman. Viking yeah. Wayne Gallman. Viking yes. current free agent. Jake Fromm. Like these are the guys that go into the combine and they're deemed losers and then they fall off. And so I think it's still a little risky to be like, oh, they won the combine they're going to be really good. It's more, it ends up just being the same crapshoot with the winners that it is for the rest of the draft. But the people that come out of the combine and are bad are bad in the NFL. That just seems to be the trend that we're seeing. Uh, yeah. And the Lamar Jackson thing was because he didn't run the 40. I think like he, we knew that he was not going to have this unbelievable throwing session yep. at the combine. And so you gathered this list of winners and losers through different sites. You just looked around and tried to find like who was naming winners and losers from this and then gathered your list. But with Jackson, it was, I think in part he was, and just think of the silliness of some of this, he was being represented by his mom. And so they were like upset that he was being represented by his mom and not like some super agent. And then, uh, the, the whole, he didn't run the 40 thing. And I think he was trying not to run the 40 to be like passive aggressive. Actually Warren moon, I think said way back in the day that he purposefully ran a slow 40. So nobody would change his position. I mean, just, you know, I like, we're still dealing with that sort of stuff with biases and things like that. And that was shown with the Lamar Jackson, but the other loser quarterbacks that came out of the combine included Cardale Jones, who ended up being, the next quarterback picked after Dak Prescott, uh, by the way. And uh, let's see, who are the other ones? Brad Kaya. Remember Brad Kaya? Yeah. More, li- more like bad Kaya. <laughs> uh, and and uh, Josh Rosen was another one of them who came out of the combine um, not doing very well. And then you know he ended up being one of the biggest first round busts of the last like 10 years. So I think that that is absolutely what you're looking for uh, is – who doesn't show up because you know that this thing is coming from the minute you're done playing college, you as a quarterback know the throws you're going to have to make the numbers that you're going to have to put up as far as how fast they want you to be and everything else. I mean, uh, poor Kenny Pickett is pulling on his thumbs or whatever to make himself a little bit longer in the fingers. Uh, but you are very well aware. So it's almost like, did you study for the test? You know, that's, that, that's really what it tells you. I think about, um, the quarterbacks because Orlando Brown, if I remember, had a way better pro day and everyone went like, what did he just like get really anxious or something? So but he dropped in the draft and turned out to be a steal pick. So I guess there is some of this that maybe you can get a steal. And the same thing for Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup was overthinking it like he had unbelievable college numbers, completely dominated the senior bowl. And then it was, oh, well, it's this four six yeah. number. But on the same thing, but you also research this. And those numbers, when it comes to the the combine, like they matter. If you are certain heights, weights, speeds, and so forth, like it does tend to make a difference when it comes to whether uh, you have a good chance to succeed or not. Yeah. And one other point on just the winners tab alone, it's like the guys that were said to be winners and ended up being really good are the guys that you went into the combine already as first round picks. Most of the time, it's like Josh Allen was a winner and then he ends up being a really good quarterback. It's like, Carson Wentz was a winner. Then he ends up being a really good quarterback. Like you go down the list. It's like, oh, Mike Gusecki was a winner. Well, he was the best tight end in that draft. And then he becomes a winner like Deshaun Watson. Like these guys were really, really high prospects before. 
and then they became, and then they were winners at the combine and then they became really good players. If you start to then go to like the later round guys that then end up getting this winner tag, you go to like wide receiver Aaron Fuller was on the winner. I don't know when Aaron Fuller got drafted, probably not high. It's like, uh, let's see here. Offensive tackle Jason Spriggs was a winner. Wide receiver Marquez North. Like these guys that weren't first round picks, but are deemed winners. Those are the guys that are a little bit more shaky. Cause then you're more picking just the tools like, Oh, we ran a fast 40. I'm going to throw them in the winners. So I would caution. You could probably believe in the first round picks. Bonafide guys have really, really good combines. They're probably going to be good pros, but if it's a third round guard that has a good broad jump and then they get thrown in the winner category, that one is just going to be much less sporadic or that's going to be much more sporadic than any other pick. So the winners, the ones that did really well were just a high concentration of guys that got picked, picked really, really high. And uh, I, I noticed Jake Fromm was the other one that I did not mention for the losers. And I think that uh, what usually happens is there's there's some tool with the quarterbacks that is short for you to end up on the loser list. Like Kaya and Fromm had horrible arms. They just were not NFL arms. And their college tape looked pretty good. And then all of a sudden you see them in comparison to the other prospects. You go, okay, that's not going to be throwing the old pigskin fast enough to be an NFL quarterback, which leads me to my next question which is if you had to guess of the quarterbacks let's say six top six I tend to think it's more of five but I'll include Carson Strong in here anyway give me who you think ends up being the winner and who ends up being the loser at the combine out of the projected potential first round quarterbacks yeah well I think if Kenny Pickett's hand size comes in low or really small I think then he um, immediately goes into the category of he's playing from behind he plays a really good rest of the week. As stupid as that sounds, everyone's paying attention to what his hand size is going to be um, because it is just so small compared to what they have historically. So I think he could potentially be a loser on some of those measurables, uh, and he's just not going to have the arm strength that some of the guys he's going to be throwing around are going to have. Uh, and so the obvious one uh, would be Malik Willis that you would think is going to come out, be a winner. He's going to run a fast 40. He's, I mean, people consider it like, I've heard a lot of draft analysts say if he comes into the league, he might be the second best quarterback rusher behind Lamar Jackson just immediately. So he has that strong skill. He's going to run fast. He's going to be quick. He's going to be agile. He has a really, really big arm. So I would anticipate everything out of the senior bowl sounded like he was good with scouts and with the coaches. So I wouldn't anticipate that changing. So I would consider Malik Willis to be that front runner for someone who's going to be really, really good. Carson Strong doesn't have some of those athletic traits. So if we're putting him in there, he seems like he could be an easy loser. He's kind of flat footed and he's not running super fast. And he just doesn't do a lot of the, doesn't match up with some of the Matt Corrals, the Malik Willis's of the world in just terms of speed. So I think the traditionally the guys at the combine that do really well are the athletic ones. And so that's where you're going right away. It's Malik, it's Matt Corral. Those are the, those are the one, two I would consider Sam Howell. I don't, I think he's just going to be kind of meh um, just based on everything we've seen. That was kind of, his MO at the senior bowl too. Uh, so I could see him pick it or strong kind of being down there in, in the losers just because they don't have that athletic talent to match. I was going to say Matt Corral because he had the injury and this is if he participates in everything. I haven't read whether he's going to do all the drills or not, but if he's healthy because he got hurt toward the end of the season, then he has a lot to gain because he fell behind by not being at senior bowl. Although there were some writers who said that he gained steam because the, the other quarterbacks didn't wow outside of Malik Willis. So I don't know. Everybody's got uh, their take on what that means, but he has an opportunity to show that he is also a really great athlete, which my understanding is that he is. Uh, but I mean, until it's on paper, it's hard to really know uh, because I mean, Sam Howell really ran very successfully this year, but is he going to run like a four, eight, and then it's, oh, okay, he ran successfully because the defenses are slow and he played at North Carolina. Uh, but if you run a 4.8, you're not going to be a difference maker with your legs in the NFL. You really have to be like 4.6 or below to be a difference maker running the football in the NFL or they'll just catch you. Because if you're 4.8, the fat guys run 4.8. They'll get you. Uh, so that that is, is going to be interesting. I think that Desmond Ritter has maybe the most to lose here because of the arm strength. Now, 
I've watched only a little of Desmond Ritter and there are some people who love Desmond Ritter that I've, I've mostly watched other people's breakdowns. And this is how I usually do it anyway, because trying to sift through a bunch of games to figure out like where I'm going to get takeaways is much worse than watching say JT O'Sullivan's YouTube, where he breaks down all the film on somebody. So I usually do it that way. And, uh, I just don't know that I see like a, a lot of jump in that fastball. And I don't think you have to have a total cannon to succeed in the NFL. We saw that from Mac Jones last year. It's not like Joe Burrow has the hugest arm ever, but there's a price to play poker. And I don't know that he has it. And the same goes for athleticism. When he was on a football field with Alabama, he wasn't running away from those dudes on Alabama. And every time it's, it sets off a little bells in my head. And again, I'm not, you know, not claiming that I know how to predict who's going to be what or anything like that, but it sets off bells in my head when the conversation is, well, he's pro ready because he like understands offenses and ran a pro system. And I'm like, I don't know. I remember when Cam Newton was doing the John Gruden camp and Gruden asked him to like, give him a play call. And Cam was like, we don't really have play calls. They just like give me a number. And then I run the ball and score a touchdown and Cam was great and took a team to a Super Bowl. So I don't know. Like, I'm not sure that that whole pro ready is good to the under center or like, I'm not sure how much that really correlates. So if Ritter shows up and runs a four seven and throws the ball with kind of weak velocity behind it, I think he could drop out of the first round. There are other people who have them as the first quarterback, but I was Mel Kuyper was talking about this. I was watching a video where he was talking about it saying like, if he doesn't like show those physical tools that are equal or better than these other guys, he might not be a first rounder because he went to Cincinnati and it's not like he picked, you know, put up numbers that were 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns or something. Yeah. And just approaching this from a Vikings perspective, um, <clears throat> if Ritter is kind of that pro style guy, the one like I, our friends, Eric Eager and a, a George Shahuri, I think on their podcast talked about, Ritter and just being super pro ready because if you kind of set the system up for him, play action, uh, kind of get him doing those types of things, he can be really successful. And I think that would make sense for a team that is just a little bit more on the cusp of winning right away. When if he was goes to the Steelers, they have the requisite pieces a little bit more in place for him to do that with the defense that can support him. The Vikings already kind of have a quarterback like that who can if you cut half the field for him, he is going to find the right read. He's going to go, if his first read's open, he's going to fire it. He's going to make that throw. The Vikings already have an iteration of that quarterback. And so I'm just not sure going the Ritter route makes sense for what they have, because it seems eerily similar to, you know, what what's currently on the roster. And that's why they would be in it from a Vikings only perspective. The winners of the, the combine for them might be those more athletic guys, because that is, a departure from what they currently have uh, and maybe what they would want in their quarterback moving forward. I think so too. I think that if you're, it's just like they went the opposite with the GM and the opposite with the coach, they will probably go opposite with the quarterback. If they do indeed uh, make a quarterback change, by the way, I don't really expect in terms of the rumors or buzz there to be anything concrete when it comes to Kirk cousins. And I, I was thinking about this today. Here's why when the Vikings signed Kirk cousins to a contract extension, there was no buzz whatsoever. There, there was nothing out there. In fact, I think it was in typical purple insider fashion two days before Courtney Cronin and I did a show talking about like why there wasn't any news at all or anything as it relates to a cousins extension. I was also reminded of this. When Jared Goff was traded for Matthew Stafford, we were all surprised. There was no reporting whatsoever leading up to that trade that, oh yeah, they, there was speculation, maybe a little, that they could trade Jared Goff, but it came out of nowhere and it was all of a sudden. And so I expect this week to hear, oh, every team's sticking with their quarterback and everything else, but I don't think that that's a guarantee at all that they're doing that uh, uh, just based on whatever combine buzz is. That's what everyone's going to want to know is, hey, are people talking about if they're going to trade Kirk or not? But I think that when it's something of this magnitude, teams have been pretty good at keeping it close to the vest because they don't really benefit at all from having it out there. Usually it gets out there with trades when a team is trying to shop somebody and they're not having a whole lot of success. Um, but even, even the Stefan Diggs trade, 
there was not like a concrete report. Vikings are trying to trade Stefan Diggs. And I asked Rick Spielman at the combine a couple of years ago, has Diggs asked you to be traded? And he's no, he's not asked to be traded. So usually like we don't walk out of the combine with a super good sense for these things. Um, I, I had uh, on my list here to ask you about the free agents though, because a lot of times we do come out of the combine with some sense for which free agents they might be trying to bring back, depending on how committal they are when we ask. <laughs> if it's like, well, you know, we really like what he did and we're evaluating, then okay, well, that doesn't sound like you're really going to bring him back. There aren't too many that I think that they're going to bring back. And I'm just going to shoot you the name and you give me your take on whether these uh, players are coming back. So let's start with Anthony Barr. Do you think Anthony Barr will be re-signed by the Vikings? No, I don't. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, feel free to give a sentence on why. Okay. Um, no, I I mean, I think we all maybe perked our ears up when he when Kevin O'Connell said his name in the press conference. And I was even, when I heard that, I was like, oh, interesting. Okay, maybe Anthony Barr is a winner here. But the more I think about it, I'm just not quite sure adding a linebacker who's about to be 30 continuing that contract extension uh he's anthony barr has been with the same regime this whole time obviously he was loved by that regime he was prioritized by that regime Uh, i don't imagine that they are going to want to sink in a ton of money into a linebacker unit that again going back to positional value is not normally where successful teams put a lot of money and so that's why i would say if we're if we're betting anthony barr doesn't come back yeah and uh having eric kendricks in a system that sometimes only plays one linebacker uh, I don't, I also don't see them saying, oh yes, this guy who had a serious knee injury last year that kept him out the entire training camp, he'll definitely have the quick twitch skill to suddenly become an outside linebacking edge rusher. It just doesn't really meet common sense there that if he could not ever show to Mike Zimmer that he should be used off the edge, you could say a lot of things about Mike Zimmer. He did not use Anthony Barr wrong. I have no question about that. In fact, Anthony Barr doesn't have any question about that. He said that in his goodbye press conference where he kind of said some other really honest things. He said, I don't think Mike Zimmer misused me. And I agree with him um, because there's Vaughn Miller types that are so blazing quick. And I think Anthony Barr was more like a Mack truck than he was somebody who just had that like explosion that would get him toward the quarterback. And I think that's what Zimmer saw. And also you need to develop pass rush moves over years and years in the NFL to beat tackles. And he's not been doing that. So I think it would be like really foolish to think, Oh, well we've got the answer for Anthony Barr. It's this other thing that he didn't start doing till 30. Like that doesn't match up. So yeah, uh, there, there was an, if there, if this was a different time in his career, maybe four or five years ago, I could, I could maybe be convinced that that could be something he could learn. Um, And I don't doubt his willingness to try that. uh, But I just don't feel like at this point in his career, that's something that would give you marketed returns that you, you really feel like you need to keep him on the team for. Okay, how about Patrick Peterson? Do you think we hear Kwesi Adolfo-Mensa say we need that veteran corner back? I could see it. Um, This one I feel more solidly than Anthony Barr, uh, just because they don't really have a lot of other guys in that cornerback room that you feel really solid about. He, from the public comments that we've briefly heard of him, he seems open to coming back, uh, which I think is a good thing. Um, So if it's on a similar deal, maybe a little bit less money, I could see it as a possibility, but... This is not like a one of those auto re-sign guys. This is one of those kind of on-the-fence guys for me. I would say no because he's 32 and there's just no point in signing someone who's 32 um, for this Vikings team at all. Like, sorry, all people who grew up watching football in the 90s, you're out. You can't do this. If you started listening to music at like sync, then you've got a chance to be on my team as a free agent, but you know, anything past that uh, you want free agents for corners who are 26, which is usually the youngest age that you see sometimes 25, but usually it's like 26, 27 people hitting free agency. That's somebody you could sign and will be good for three, four, five years. Whereas Patrick Peterson is just year to year with his entire career. In fact, he was even being asked about a position switch. He was asked about retirement. Like that's not, I, I think veteran presence is nice, but like that's not something that you really want to pay for with Patrick Peterson. As much as I enjoyed listening to Patrick Peterson talk about football because it's one of the greatest players ever, I don't know that it's the right move for them to bring him back. 
Yeah, I and I think we'll probably talk about Sheldon Richardson next, but uh, just in terms of Patrick Peterson, unlike the D-line, there aren't as many cornerbacks that I am, one, like want to see give. I mean, we want to see them have a shot, but there are just less of those guys than there are on the D-line. And so if you want to have that veteran come in, the guy that in one year just really, really kind of took hold of that locker room and from all reports, I can see the value in it. Um Whereas I don't know if you want to do Sheldon Richardson next, but um, I wouldn't imagine him coming back just because there's so many, it's put up or shut up time for a lot of those defensive linemen that they've drafted in the last few years. And I'd assume Quasey and Kevin O'Connell want to see what they have, if they have anything in any of those guys. And Sheldon Richardson has always been a one year, try to help him get more money maybe later down the road. And also just kind of fill a stopgap hole for your team as you try to make the playoffs. Uh, that doesn't seem like the prudent approach for them. And so if that's the basis of knowledge that we're going off for this, then I don't see why Sheldon Richardson would come back. Yeah. As I'm looking down the list, I agree with you on Sheldon Richardson. It's hard to actually find someone that they will bring back. I mean, l- let me just run this like, down. I mean, Rashad Hill, you don't think they bring back? Probably not. Uh, Ole Udo, I think is a totally fine swing tackle. They just screwed him over by making him play guard, but uh, at least I guess he has experience being bad at guard if they need someone off the bench. But I thought as a tackle, he was okay. And that's your new Rashad Hill. You just sort of send one out and bring one in. Uh, Xavier Woods, there might be a case for. One of the things is that he was 100% healthy last year. He played every snap, which is a good thing. And if Harrison Smith wants him back, he's probably not that expensive. I don't hate that idea. But I mean, some of these other ones like Mackenzie Alexander, no, D.D. Uh, D. Westbrook, there's no point to that one. Um, God, the kicker and punter are fine. They could both come back. Mason Cole, I guess, for an off the bench type of guard. Tyler Conklin is the one that I would say, oh, for sure, I'd want him back. But I think someone else is going to say, here's seven or eight million dollars, and the Vikings will. Um, make him a cake and say, good luck on your journey. You don't think Chad Beebe is coming back, Matt? You don't, you don't feel like that. You don't think he's got any run left in him. Come on, man. There's just, (laughs) there's like a list of these players who become a thing for a little while that you just go, how was that a thing? How did they keep? And Chad Beebe has been nothing from when I've been around him, nothing, but a hundred percent, super hardworking, professional, all that stuff. So I'm not insulting him, but you're like, why? Why did that keep happening? It's uh, like, was that, well, what did you see there exactly that you thought this is a really good idea to have this yeah. player continuing to come back? It's like your number three wide receiver. Yeah. I don't think Chris Herndon's coming back. Sorry. You lost that <laughs> draft pick. I don't You'll think you'll never that, get that back. No. <laughs> Getting that pick back. No. Luke Stocker may have been like, if we had a conversation about the player who was, like got into games and was their worst player over the last five years. Like Dakota Dozier, who's also not coming back is maybe the winner of that contest. But Luke Stocker is the most random, like five years from now, no one will remember that Luke Stocker played in games, but he actually got in quite a bit because they couldn't stand Chris Herndon that much, which makes it even more mind blowing that they decided um, to, to trade a fourth round pick for, for the jets fourth tight end like you can never you can never yell it loud enough for the jets fourth tight end this horrendous football team you traded for their fourth tight end for a fourth round pick that's something like they should give you a fourth round pick for taking him off your f off their hands um anyway okay so uh, i have a little combine quiz for you about 40 times but before we get to that is there anything else from the combine that you will be looking for no, I, I mean, I'm just going to be really locked in on kind of kind of everything. It's the first year that I've dove head deep into into all of it. Um, so I'm excited to see it. It's been a year without a combine uh, for a while. We thought players may boycott the combine. So I'm just excited for it to to be there. And I, like everyone else, will be trained in on those quarterbacks, trying to figure out what people are saying about them, watching Henny, Kenny Pickett's hand get, get measured. If there's a stream for that, I'll pay for that. Uh, just... <laughs> Let me know where I have to go for that. Um, so, yes, just very excited to see what happens with the quarterbacks. And then also the edge rushers, too. I think there's some fun athletic edge rushers that the Vikings could maybe pursue in the second or third rounds that I'll be kind of keeping my eye on. Okay. So uh, since 2014, five players for the Vikings ran a sub 444. 
So at least four, four, three or below five players. Can you name those five players? And I will tell you that um, four of them played a lot and okay. one other one may someday play a lot. And this is now the, the one thing about this is like those pro days from last year. Like this is what's listed on pro football reference. That's so okay. some of them are not like Ken A. Wong Wu is not listed here. Oh, okay. And I mean, Ken A. Wong Wu ran like a four three two. So uh, this is, that was um, going to be my first guess. So I'm glad you yeah. took that off the board for me. So I, I don't know why he's not listed here. Is that just because there wasn't a combine? Like, I, I don't know why, be. but yeah. the other, the other guys, four of the other guys, for sure. It was at the combine. So right. go, go yeah. with the four that would have run a sub four, four, three. All right. I think Trey Waynes probably ran a really, really fast time. I remember him being a blazing fast cornerback when he came out. So Correct. I he is All the right. fastest 40 guy that the Vikings drafted in the Mike Zimmer era at four, three, one. Okay. Uh, Justin Jefferson. I'll throw that in there. That's correct. Four, four, three. He uh, has the fourth fastest okay. 40 time. I think that there's one in here that you'll be very surprised at. Okay. Uh, Dalvin Cook, is he in the top five? He is not. Um, right. Dalvin Cook actually ran a four, four, nine. And I recall that Dalvin Cook had a very bad vertical and everyone's like, oh man. I mean, he's just, he had, a th- actually, I've got it here, a 30 inch vertical, which I mean, if we practiced a lot of jumping, we still wouldn't jump 30 inches, but like we could get closer than you'd think to that. Like these yes. other guys are doing 40 inch verticals. So anyway. Okay. So I'm trying to think of the one that didn't play a ton uh, that you mentioned. Um, let's see. Let's well, okay. 2014. Okay. That would have been before, or that would have been the Jarek McKinnon year. Did he run in the top five? Yes. Jarek McKinnon okay. had the second fastest at four, four, one. And then, well, I'll give you the guy that didn't play enough because uh, it kind of is just throwing me off with Wong Wu not being there. Uh, Amir Smith-Marset ran a 4-4-3. But I don't know why he's listed and Wong Wu isn't. Okay. All right. Well, it couldn't have been Treadwell, so I'm trying to go fast. No, it could not have been Treadwell. Couldn't have been Treadwell. Mike Hughes? It was not Mike Hughes. Uh, That's a good guess, though. This guy was a a top two-round draft pick guy. All right, let me see. Not okay. It wouldn't be Irv. It I'm, could be Jeff Gladney, maybe. Not Jeff Gladney, no. Could be Mackenzie Alexander. It's Mackenzie, Mackenzie Alexander. Alexander. Yeah, which is really surprising because we don't think of him as being all no. that fast. So Trey Wayne's, Jarek McKinnon, Mackenzie Alexander, Justin Jefferson, and Amir Smith Marset, and somewhere mixed in there is Kenny Wongwu, but not listed. For sure. Okay, now more fun is to name the slowest. Yes. Can you name the five slowest guys that the Vikings have drafted? And if you, if you can't, most of them are late round draft picks. So we could change this to top four round guys. Why don't we do that? Why don't we make it top four round guys that okay. are the slowest the Vikings have ever drafted? All right. Well, we're going to go probably Jaleel Johnson then. If he's... Correct. The slowest have five, three, eight and a 28 inch vertical. Wow. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, we're just going big bodies then. So Garrett, uh, Garrett Bradbury, uh, Garrett Bradbury's incorrect. He ran a four, nine, two. He was fast. Somehow got listed at three Oh six. What happened there? How was (laughs) Garrett Bradbury listed at three Oh six at the combine? Okay. So we're going top four rounds. Did he do like the milk challenge? You know how people try to drink a whole (laughs) gallon of milk, but he actually did it or something. He just pulled milk. All right. So if we're doing fourth round, we've got some, some offensive tackles in there. Uh, we've got like Willie Beavers could Willie be one Beavers of them. Willie Beavers is right. Yep. TJ Clemmings could be one of them. He's a little, Clemmings is a little farther down the list. One, two, okay. three, four. Clemmings is, is fifth for fifth slowest among okay. guys drafted in the fourth or above, but you're, you're going in the right direction here. Drew Samia was a fourth That's round. Correct. Pick. Yep. Drew Samia okay. five two nine. And then the one that you're missing was actually talked about as a guy who was athletic and played with athleticism in the NFL, but his combine, his 40 and his vertical are so hysterically bad. Um, but was, but actually looked athletic when playing football as an offensive lineman. Oh, okay. Offensive line. Um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking 
Pat Elfline? Pat Elfline is right. That's uh-huh. a great guess. He ran a 5.32 and had a 23, 23 inch vertical. Now, I have a box in my house that is 20 inches. Yep. And I have no problem jumping up onto this box. Now, I don't know. That's not how you really do it. Sure. I, I'm going to take back the thing I said about the 30 inch vertical. You, we couldn't get close to that if we tried, but like 23. Yes. I think I would, I would at least get to, if we, if I practiced it and worked with someone on like jumping technique and how to do this, I think I could get to 20. Yeah. I, I can get to 20. I think, I think I could easily get there. I'm trying to pull up part of the article was the, the Todd McShay look kind of through the ESPN numbers and the red flag numbers. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to look at 40 yard dash time for offensive linemen. They don't even have it in here, but Five, three, two is about as slow as you can ever run a 40 yard dash, I think. Which is crazy because he was good in space when he was healthy and they used them at center before he had I mean, that And again, it's just two, two chances that you're getting to do this weird track and field type situation. Maybe he didn't train for it super hard. Who knows? The combine stuff, especially with like some of those positions and some of the drills that aren't as important, like for an interior offensive lineman's 40 yard dash, like, those, those maybe can be ones where you're not paying as close attention to it. The other thing, the thing about it though, is if you draft someone who has a 23 inch vertical and who runs a five, three, two, nothing can go wrong with that player. And if it does, he's going to be bad. And yeah. that's, that's the concern I think with all of the combine numbers and what they really mean is nothing ever went wrong with Cooper cup and his four, six had Laquan Treadwell. Laquan Treadwell was not a good route runner and it was just over because he doesn't have any physical traits to make up for that. So I think some, some people will kind of focus on like, well, the ceiling is limited, but I don't think that's it. I think it's just, it narrows the scope of what could potentially get in your way. So here's a good example. Cordero Patterson is a horrendous route runner who I don't know understands the place. Like that was the big deal is that he just didn't like, understand how any of the things work and he's a star for atlanta and was good with uh new england and was uh, the maybe the best kick returner ever i mean there's because he's an unbelievable athlete so when there's something there to to make up for problems that you have you can succeed i think that that would be another small edge in terms of if you're looking for let's increase our percentages by just a few points so uh weird times with no football to talk about paul but next week will be very very exciting and now i can actually say if you stayed this long you get to find out sage rosenfels is coming to the combine with me so we'll be doing shows there i sort of hinted at like a little bit of a surprise but i am flying in former nfl quarterback sage rosenfels to go to the combine with me cover the vikings there for a couple of days and uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun so i'm looking forward to it paul yeah, I'm psyched. I'm psyched to listen to that. That's gonna be awesome. Sage knows so many people down there and is gonna have tons and tons to say, I'm sure, about all the quarterbacks. I'm excited to hear his thoughts on all of it. Yeah, he's the best. And I think he's been working with at least one this year. So we'll be uh, interested to hear about that. So thanks for your time. And thank you all, as always, for listening. We'll have one more show and then it's off to the combine. And uh, just keep your eyeballs peeled for or your ears or whatever open for uh lots of stuff coming out on the podcast feed throughout the week so i'm just going to be pumping it out uh when i do interviews and stuff like that so it won't be just showing up in the morning i think so all right well thanks for your time paul and uh we'll see y'all later